You know, the last few weeks I've uh, used as my text, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. And secondly, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, when we humble ourselves enough to admit there's still a lot of room for God to work in my life and we admit our mistakes and our shortcomings, we personally get refreshed as we sense God's grace and mercy touching us. I think it's important. As a little kid, when I was in trouble, the first thing you want to do is run and hide. And sometimes as adults, when we're in trouble, the first thing we want to do is run and hide. And we always run from the person that we might be in trouble with. Or we try to formulate in our minds why it's their fault and not our fault. From years of personal experience and sometimes learning the hard way and reading about men and women in the Bible, I've come to realize that when I'm wrong, the best thing to do is to run straight to the Father in Jesus' name. You know, one time David, King David, well, not one time, several times, he, he made some wrong decisions, but in one occasion, He had the option of either falling into the hands of God or falling into the hands of men. And you know what David said? I would rather fall into the hands of God because ultimately in God there's mercy. And sometimes when we fall into the hands of men, there's not always mercy. But God remembers that we're made from dust and we make mistakes. And God while he's a righteous God and a just God, he's also a forgiving God and a gracious God. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Yeah. Yeah, you can give the Lord a clap. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. So repenting brings refreshing relief, consolation to us personally. But when we as Christians recognize that we are an authority in the land. Whether the government recognizes that we are an authority. And when I say the church, I don't mean the institution, I mean you and me. When we understand that we are an authority and a powerful authority, we'll start to look at our prayer life very differently. Too often as Christians, we pray just before we eat only. And sometimes we don't even do that. But as sons of God, we need to develop a wholesome and steadfast, steady relationship of communication with the Father through Jesus Christ. We have great authority. And I believe that a person recognizes how much authority they have by how much they pray. The more you understand you have authority, the more you'll pray. And the more you pray, the more you start to understand how much authority you really have. 
If there is a voice that needs to be heard in America today, it's the voice of the church echoing the heart of the Father. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Repentance is something that has to start in our personal and private lives. If we want to see change in our community, there has to be change in our heart. You see, God is so transparent and non-hypocritical. A person can be a rat bag in society and post his vote for what president he wants and maybe win the candidate of his choice. But in God's economy, judgment always starts first with God's kids. Before he can do stuff out there, he has to do stuff in here. Hello? And so he starts in here, in the heart of each individual, and then he starts in here, in the corporate gathering of the body. And then he can start to influence out there. And so what we can get away with with our voting rights as citizens of the United States of America, we can't get away with as sons of God. Our prayers count when we first come humbly before God and we live in a place of constantly wanting to have our heart right before him. That's not being negative. It's being honest. I stand here, I have the honor of standing and preaching, but I have a responsibility to reconcile my day at the end of the day and see where I can improve. And there's always room for improvement. And as we become honest before God, then the Holy Spirit of God will and can move more and more in our lives and in our community. Does anyone out there agree with what I'm saying? Last week I preached about a revival that started in Red River in Kentucky and then continued on in a place called Cambridge. And sometimes, you know, as preachers, we believe God's telling us something, and I don't know if you know this, but I don't go home and say, okay, God, talk to me and hear an audible voice. It would be really easy if I heard an audible voice every time I talked to God. It would be great if it was as simple as, like, turning on, uh, making a telephone call. And you hear the person on the other side. We hear just like you hear through faint impressions. And we learn to trust them. And so I often preach the things that I, I really believe in my heart. I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me. And just so that you know I'm as real as you are. Sometimes I come here full of gusto. Convinced I've heard. Uh, what God told me to preach on, and then after the service, I'm wondering, did I hit the mark or did I miss the mark? Uh, Lynn, stand up for a second. Lynn, where are you? 
Linda is one of uh, Pastor Jan's prayer assistants and very faithful lady in this church. And uh, I love all of our workers, and I love Lynn, beautiful lady. I love the folk that come out and pray. I love everybody. That sounded wrong. I love everybody. But I really appreciate the fact that people have been coming out to pray. Lynn sent me a video clip or a link. You can take a seat now. Thank you, Lynn. How many of you have ever heard of the intercessor called Dutch Sheets? Very well-known powerful intercessor in the United States of America. Well, last Sunday was the end of August, and uh, I preached on uh, these two revivals. And I told Pastor Jan, I asked her, I said, how'd the service go? She said, it went good. God was touching people's heart. You could feel it. And what you may not know is that as I'm preaching, and even when I'm under the anointing, the devil's trying to talk to me and telling me, you're not hitting the mark. People aren't listening. This isn't going anywhere. You're boring them. Well, I had a bit of a, an occasion like that last Sunday when I, I went home. I thought, you know what? I didn't really do that great. Well, Lynn sends me this link, and Dutch Sheets, several days after I preached last Sunday on these two revivals, on his daily broadcast called 15 Minutes for Him, starts talking about why it's so important to teach, to preach, and to talk about past revivals because they prepare us for the revivals that God wants to bring to the earth today. How many of you think your pastor was a little bit encouraged? <laughs> Amen. And sometimes in a very, very busy period of your life, like I'm in at the moment, uh, a, a period that can be quite uh, demanding and stressful as I'm trying to take care of one thing and pastor the church at the same time and launch year three of Bible school, sometimes it's a little bit easier for the enemy to just punch a couple of holes in your thoughts. But I have recoiled and I'm back on my feet, and I'm going to preach to you today what I believe God said to share. And I'm going to continue talking about revival. I have said for a number of months, maybe 12 months, that what America needs is not the next right president or the right political party. What America needs is for the church of Jesus Christ to understand who she is and start getting into the trenches of spiritual warfare and praying because it doesn't matter what legislation is put in or revoked, legislation will never change the hearts of people. And sin isn't the result of legislation. Sin is the result of hearts that need to be changed. Can I get an agreement? And so sometimes we could mislead ourselves by looking to what the government could do or should do and rather than realizing there are things we need to do and God is waiting for us to do it. Amen. Revivals are born out of men and women being honest with themselves, humbling themselves, and crying out to God and saying, God, we need more of you, period. Absolutely. So, 
having read the text that I've been using for the last couple of weeks, um, uh, I'm going to talk about the second great awakening that took place and it affected the United States in a tremendous way. Now, if you're like me, I get very analytical and I look at everything that's happening in America and around the world and in the natural, it's easy to say people are so intellectually uh, directed, how in the world could we ever see a reset to where society is at the moment? I honestly believe from a spiritual perspective, from a, a moral perspective, society, America included, is on the edge of a cliff and we are teeter-tottering. But I want you to understand that when we talk about past revivals, things were equally as devastating and equally as bad. And sometimes it's hard for us to perceive that. We project into the past and from our memory and from certain perspectives, we think that everyone was much more Christian all the time in the past, and it's only now that society has really started to spiral downwards. In reality, revival comes every time humanity reaches a crisis point, and the church in that crisis point wakes up and starts to say, God, we need your help. It's a little bit like Pearl Harbor. America had kept itself out of World War II. And quite honestly, while we were practicing our philosophy of isolationism, tragedy was taking place on the other side with our allies. And the world was heading to an extremely desperate place. Nation after nation was collapsing. Hitler was raging through Europe. Uh, Russia was doing its own thing as well. And Japan was on the march. And it's like a spirit of megalomania grabbed hold of leaders of certain nations and diabolically drove them to a frenzy of wanting to subdue one nation after another so that they could be even more powerful. And we were here minding our own business until our toes got stepped on. And they say that with the bombing of Pearl Harbor, uh, one of the Japanese generals uh, made the comment, I fear that we have awakened a sleeping giant. Well, that was a fact. They had awakened a sleeping giant. I pray that the Holy Spirit is awakening a sleeping giant, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to share some things with you that I didn't know, and I've been researching. <laughs> I've been researching for this message, and I'm going to give you a lot of uh, facts or figures. Uh, last night I was up till 1:30 in the morning, got up at six o'clock, and just started researching more and more, and uh, <clears throat> some fascinating and surprising facts. I don't know if the guys up the back, I know I gave you my literature really late. You're on, you guys are amazing. Is that Zach? 
Good on you, Zach. Zach has only just started training in the back. He's going to be helping me with projecting some of my uh, points on the screen. He's only new to this, and I gave them my sermon notes maybe seven minutes before church started. Okay? And there's a ton of facts that they're going to put up on the board. So, Zach, you're in a man right now. Thank you. Kudos to Zach. Everybody say, thank you, Zach. Okay. So, let me tell you about some of our history as a nation. Because in the secular world, you'll always hear about American history, who we are, how we got our constitution, our rights, what we need to fight for, what we believe in, how this happened, how that happened. But what you'll never hear from secularists and historians from the secular world is major turning points in the history of the United States that came about because of revival in the church of Jesus Christ. And that, that, that's just a plain and simple fact. The, the reality that you may never have heard it doesn't change it from being a fact. It is a fact, and it's part of our history. And unfortunately, it isn't preached a lot in the pulpits either. And so here we are looking at a modern dilemma that's global, and we think, we've never seen anything like this. How could there ever be a solution to where we're at? But the truth of the matter is, history has been faced with these moments over and over again, and every time the church of Jesus Christ has been awakened and aroused, God has moved and reset what has been happening in society. How many of you are ready for a reset in the world? We need it. Amen. So let me read to you just a few things uh, <clears throat> from the period of 1790 to 1840 is a period of 50 years that we refer to as the Second Great Awakening, a great revival that took place. Um, <clears throat> but prior to those awakenings, America was anything but God-fearing. It wasn't God-fearing at all. In fact, the church was quickly becoming a relic. So, following the Revolutionary War from 1776 to 1781, the United States experienced a moral slump and the churches had become almost completely irrelevant and curbing the nation's downward spiral into immorality. So point one, during that last decade, 1790, during that last decade of that century, out of a population of five million people in the United States of America, so in 1790, during that decade to 1800, there was roughly five million people, six percent were confirmed alcoholics. That is a very high percentage. Point two, crime had grown to such an extent that bank robberies were a daily occurrence. Now, if we said that today, you know, what do we have in America? 300 million people? 330 million people in a nation of 5 million people, 
bank robberies were a daily occurrence. You see, we look at the past sometimes uh, as yesteryear and it glimmers with gold. That's not always the case. And it wasn't the case at numerous points in the history of our nation. Uh, point three, women did not go out at nighttime for fear of being assaulted. Number four, the Methodist church was losing 4,000 members a year. The Baptist church during 1790 to 1800 registered their worst season ever. In a typical congregational church, uh, congregational as in uh, the, the denomination, uh, they had not seen anyone get saved in years, like 16 years. That's how bad and downward society was going. In the Lutheran church and the Episcopalian churches, things were so bad, they actually talked about joining together just so that they wouldn't have to close the doors of their churches. The Chief Justice of the United States of America, John Marshall, actually penned these words and said that the church was too far gone to ever be redeemed. I told you that uh, last week that George Washington was written to by a friend and he said, I fear that the faith of America is almost all but gone. And George Washington said, I have the same fear in my heart. Voltaire, a French philosopher, said at that time, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years' time. Church historian Kenneth Latourette said, that it seemed as if Christianity were about to be ushered out of the affairs of men and only 5% of Americans in 1790 had any formal tie to a church. Only 5%. Last week I talked to you about why that was happening and one of the reasons was there was a rise of intellectualism science had been discovered new, new sciences had been discovered and there was a rise of a philosophy called deism and deism and humanistic philosophies known as the age of enlightenment were blanketing Europe uh, the United States Universities were being saturated with the teachings of deism and humanistic philosophies. Does that sound like today? Yeah. Anti-Christian writings were being circulated across the United States. Now we have a revolutionary war hero named Ethan Allen. And he may have been a war hero in the natural, in the revolutionary war, but this was a man who was godless to the core, and he wrote a book, Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. Meaning that the only higher power is reason, logic. Thomas Paine, who occasionally has been quoted by some of our presidents, wrote a book in 1794 called The Age of Reason. And in one of his books, he wrote that in one generation, he would tear down what it, the church built in 18 centuries. Now, you're really quiet. 
Am I boring you? This is the state that America was in. He said, in one generation, we will tear down what it took 18 centuries for the church to build up. We will totally obliterate any concept of Christianity. Both of the books, uh, the book written by Ethan Allen and Thomas Paine, and Thomas Paine wrote several, but both books work to strip away the foundation that was built on the authority of God's word, and they ridiculed both the Old and the New Testament as being unworthy of a good God. In fact, point number 13, in regards to the Bible, Thomas Paine went so far as to say that it should be called the word of a demon rather than the word of God. These were the people that were shaping the attitudes and the belief systems of Americans back in 1790. We had broken through in certain areas of science and immediately the Bible was looked at with disdain and the miraculous and the supernatural things of God were starting to be labeled as pure fables. And the Bible was not a reliable source of truth whatsoever. During this period in our nation, Harvard Uni University didn't have one single Christian in the entire student body. Princeton University only had two Christian believers. Williams College conducted a mock communion service. And Dartmouth College, which is very interesting, Pastor Steve's dad was a lecturer at Dartmouth College, obviously not back in the 1790s. Um, but he uh, not only was a lecturer there, but he led prayer meetings on the property there. But Dartmouth College students conducted anti-Christian plays. So I titled my sermon, How Bad Can It Get? We talk about revival in the past, but I want to put things in perspective. We're not talking about a revival amongst people that were pure and holy and righteous. In fact, uh, the revival I talked about that took place in Red River and around Cane Ridge, those whole areas were areas where the criminals were hanging out. The, the thieves, the murderers, the counterfeiters, uh, the... the um, <laughs> moonshine uh, people that were, had illegal stills, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this, these are the places they were hanging out, and that's where the power of God came down, and we had great revivals. You see, there's a principle in God's heart that was echoed in the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul said this, and he said it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And I want to share it with you today as an, an encouragement, as a confirmation. Though things might get worse, they're going to get a whole lot better because of a move of the Holy Spirit that's coming. Amen. And that's not what Paul said in Romans. That's what I just said. But it's based on what Paul said in Romans, and it's this. This is a principle. When you understand the principles of God, it's like understanding the laws of the road. And, and it helps you to navigate. And Paul, re, Paul iterates this principle. He says, 
where sin abounds, the grace of God will abound that much more. And maybe Paul was looking at his own life. Before he got converted, he was determined he was going to eradicate this sect called Christians. And he got special permission from the, the synagogue to uh, go to Damascus and other places. And he literally had murdered Christian husbands and had young men and young women beaten and stoned. Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, as they were stoning him, it was Saul who later became Paul who stood there according to what the Bible historic account says and he was the one giving consent to those who stoned Stephen to death. I want to tell you, we have a saying that the church grows and thrives on the blood of martyrs, but what we don't understand is that the church will grow exponentially on the knees and on the prayers of the living saints. Can I get an agreement? Amen. I share these things about our past so that when in a moment I start to share with you the statistics of revivals, that took place from 1790 to 1840, you'll understand this is no little thing. And if God did it then, he can do it again. How many of you know that anything God's done in the past, he can do bigger and better in the future? Absolutely. <clears throat> the revival I spoke about uh, in uh, Red River and uh, Ridge, uh, Cane Ridge came about because people started to pray. They got so desperate, they started to pray. They were a minority. Can I share with you another principle? God doesn't run a democracy, so he doesn't need a majority. God doesn't run a democracy. He runs a theocracy. And you could have a majority and the majority be wrong. So when you have a majority and the majority is in sin and they're backslidden, the majority is going to pave the way for what they want. And right now we're heading towards a godless America. I don't care what side of the political fence you're on. I am not going to dip my toe on either side. I'm coming straight down the middle because I, need, I think there needs to be repentance in the church of Jesus Christ and there needs to be repentance right across this nation. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. So... Watch this here. I just shared with you some of the dismal statistics and facts of where society was at from the 1790s, that last decade uh, coming into the early 1800s. Well, the Second Great Awakening, which took place from 1790 to 1840, affected the entire nation of America. The entire United States of America was affected by revival. Revivals were springing up in three to five hundred churches annually. In other words, every year another three to five hundred churches were catching fire 
and having revival. And it just spread across the United States. So listen to this here. In 1790, the population of the United States was 3,929,214 people. Okay? That's pretty small. That's maybe a little bit bigger than all of Tampa Bay. By 1840, the population, so in 50 years, it had grown to 17 million people. 17,063,353. Got to get the last person in. During that 50-year period, the population of the United States of America grew fourfold. In other words, it started at 3,900 times it by itself four times, and you come to 17 million. During that same period, the church increased by tenfold. The church, because of revival, was outstripping the, uh, the birth pattern and the growth and immigration combined. The revival and the, what was happening in the churches was growing faster than the population rate of the United States of America. Wouldn't you like to see that today? Absolutely. And we need to see that today. From 1800 to 1840 alone, so we've took 10 years out of the equation, the first 10 years. From 1800 to 1840 alone, the church across the United States of America was averaging 40,000 converts a year. Guys, that's incredible. So if, if we're looking at in 1790, the population was just under 4 million, you got 40,000 people getting saved every year, and that continued for 40 years, which gave us 1.6 million new converts in this country. How many of you think we need revival? From, listen to this. This is really cool. From 1800 to 1830, the Presbyterian Church alone increased from 40,000 people to 173,329 people. They increased fourfold. That's just one denomination. The Baptist churches increased from 100,000 to 313,000 threefold. The Methodist Church went from 64,000 to 476,000 fourfold and other churches in the in the United States uh, grew by the same ratio by 1850 the presbyterian church had increased to 487,691 and Baptists had grown to 815,212, and the Methodist movement grew just here in the United States to 1,323,631. And if you don't think each person matters, these statistics always goes down to the last person. During this period of the Second Great Awakening, and I preach this stuff because I'm believing for the third great awakening. I'm believing for a great move of the Holy Ghost to come across America, but not just America. I want to see a great move of God sweep Russia. 
Yeah. Oh, Russia is one of our enemies. I want to see it sweep Russia. Because the people of that nation need Jesus just like the people of this nation need Jesus. I want to see it sweep across China. China? Yeah, China. Because they need Jesus as much as we need Jesus. You see, our Father deserves to be honored from every tribe, every nation, from every people group, every color of skin. I love the fact that, you know, if you were to look at the, the color tones in this congregation, they're almost as varied as a paint wheel at Lowe's. And I love that. You know, I, I sweat a lot, so I take my T-shirt off when I'm working with, uh, with uh, um, Ryan. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> he's gotten over the shock of seeing his pastor without a shirt on and he quickly came to the realization, Pastor Rob isn't all that. <laughs> but we got Ryan, except for his tats, almost milky white skin, and me, because of my Italian background, I'm out there in the sun, and it doesn't bother me. And I just get browner and browner. He was uh, commenting on this the other day. I love the fact that in this church, we have every color tone, and so we should. This is not about segregation. This is about the congregation that has been covered by the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. During this great revival, one, one of the greatest characters that rose up during this 50-year period is a man called Charles Finney. How many of you have ever heard of Charles Finney? Now, he's among some of my favorite guys that I ever read about. Do any of you ever buy books, Christian books, about past revivals and great revivalists? How many of you do that? Can I encourage you to do that? You, you would find them, people like Smith Wigglesworth, people like... Uh, uh, John G. Lake, uh, tremendous men and women um, that had an impact on our nation. Amy Simple McPherson almost became a, well, she did. She became a celebrity. She so affected the western coast of California. Uh, uh, just a tremendous revival. Maria Woodworth Etter. You read their stories and how these people dug into God even in the midst of tremendous tragedies in their own life and how God takes broken people. And if they'll humble themselves, God can use broken people and he uses them in a powerful way. You know, doesn't the word of God say that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Hey, and so God is famous at taking people that have been absolutely broken and you wouldn't think anything significant would come out of their lives. 
God is a God of surprises, and he's a God of miracles. And he takes people from broken backgrounds, and then he fills them with his Holy Spirit and uses them in a powerful, mighty way. So I encourage you to get hold of, yeah, get hold of books like this because it'll stir your faith. It'll open your imagination, and it'll cause you to become hungry for greater things. Absolutely. See, if you only listen to the news, you'll be filled with fear and hopelessness. We need to fill our minds with things that have actually happened so that we can remind our heart God can do it again. Hello? And that's the importance of talking about things like this. I don't believe for one moment this is a pipe dream. I don't believe for... Well, after a few moments last Sunday, I don't believe for one moment that this is irrelevant. Now, this is extremely relevant. Because honestly, I am absolutely unequivocally convinced that we, the church, are the answer. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And when we get serious, when we get hungry, when we get tired enough that we're even fed up with both sides of politics, and we start turning to God, the sooner the church as a whole does that, the sooner God will step up and say, now that you are trusting me implicitly, let me show you what I can do. Amen. I'm excited. This week I'll be meeting with a pastor who is in this town. I've never met with him before. We're going to have lunch together. Last week I met with another pastor from down the road and we're building a friendship. And I believe that the three of us will come together and have lunch. In fact, I'm believing that a lot more than just that will happen. You see, at some point we have to get past our insecurities and our own fears and realize that the kingdom of God is a lot bigger than just one church. Yes, I want to see this church have a move of God and have great revival. I want to see you come under the power of the Holy Spirit. But quite honestly, I'm prejudiced towards the whole kingdom of God. And so I want to see all of God's churches flourish and be filled with powerful demonstrations of what God can do. The book of Acts was never meant to be a history book. It's called Acts because it's supposed to have every generation is a continuing act of God's story. Amen? Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. This guy, Charles Finney, started preaching uh, in 1825. He had two phenomenal intercessors that would travel with him. The first was constantly at his side, a man called Daniel Nash. Now, Daniel Nash, here's an interesting insight to this guy. He was a Presbyterian minister. He pioneered a church. The church split. He managed to reconcile the two churches, and so he started pastoring both groups. But after a few years, 
because he was 43 years old, they voted him out and they wanted a younger pastor. The guy was heartbroken. But instead of becoming bitter and disappointed, he turned to God and he started praying and he started praying more and he started praying more. And him and this guy, John uh, Charles Finney, met and they both had a, a zeal and a vision to preach the gospel where the gospel hadn't been preached. And so um, <clears throat> Daniel Nash, nicknamed Father Nash, he wasn't a priest, he was a Presbyterian minister. When uh, Charles Finney was, felt the Holy Spirit tell him to go to a certain town to hold a revival, he would send Father Nash there two to three weeks before and Father Nash or Daniel Nash would get a hotel room. He would rent a little basement or something. It varied every time. And for two or three weeks, he would just pray. So much so and so fervently that one time the lady who rented out her basement to Daniel Nash, when Finney finally came to town, she said to him, I think the man in my basement is going off the deep end. I'm worried for him because he doesn't eat. He doesn't come out. I hear him groaning night and day. He might be on the edge of death. She said, I peeked in one day, opened the door slightly, and he was on his face on the floor groaning. And Finney just looked at her and smiled and said, he's okay. But because of intercession like that, Finney would walk into a town and because one man, sometimes accompanied by Abel Clary, another man. They would pray like that, and the principalities of darkness over the city would become muted and bound and powerless. And the worst of the worst of the worst residents in the city who would rebel and rally against the revival would end up coming on their knees and weeping before a whole congregation Whole cities were being born again and touched by the Holy Ghost. The move of God was so powerful, people would fall out of their seats onto the floor and just start confessing their sins and sobbing and sobbing and crying out to God for great mercy. In fact, in one revival alone, Finney went to Rochester, New York. He was there for seven months, and in seven months... Just seven months, over 100,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Amen. So why do I talk about revival? Because what America needs is revival. What America needs is the church being revived. What America needs is for you and me to look at the blood of Jesus and say, wait a minute. If God was really willing to die for me, if God was willing to come to earth and take on a human form and be my scapegoat, surely he deserves a lot more than just me doing my due diligence once a week, coming to church, sitting my butt down for an hour or two, and then going home. If he's the God of the, uh, who created the universe, and he was willing to die for me. There is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. Can I get agreement here? How many of you feel that? 
You see, we got to get out of our complacency. We got to get out of our rut. We got to get out of, okay, well, you know, church was good. I don't want church to be good. I want it to be phenomenal. I hope that doesn't mean you want me to preach better. (laughs) What I mean by I want church to be phenomenal, I want there to be such a presence of the Spirit of God that nobody wants to leave. That what society would be called the depraved walk in here and they feel the love of Jesus and they're just broken and they empty themselves and allow Christ to come into their heart and that other Christians would just embrace them and love them. We can't do that if we're going to judge people by the color of their skin or by the tattoos on their body or by the earrings or piercings or this or that. While we are critical and while we're judgmental and while we draw boundaries around ourselves and while we think ours doesn't smell... God can never move in an environment like that. But God will always move when we're honest, when we're real, when we're transparent, when we're sincere, when we get off our high horse and humble ourselves and cry out to him. I really don't have much more to preach today. Thank you. Thank you. I, amen. Yes, Jerry. Back in the 30s, at home, men used to walk the mountains and pray. The Appalachian Mountains? Yeah. I've heard of tremendous revivals that came out of the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, yeah. You understand what I'm talking about. You experienced it in your youth, right? I was born in 1930. Yeah. It can change this nation. It will change this nation. It will change this nation. We really have to. Church, please, everyone, repeat after me. I will not be offended offended. at what Pastor Rob's about to say. (laughs) In Jesus' name. Okay, so now I'm going to say it. (laughs) To heck with your politics. Look, I have strong political opinion. I've always said that. And every American should vote. And you should vote according to biblical standards. But you can only accomplish that much with your vote. But yet every American should vote. Now, if every American should vote and every Christian should vote... And you're going to have that much effect. What should every Christian do when it comes to prayer? Do you understand that in prayer we have... (laughs) 360 degrees worth of effect. I hope you don't forget that image in a hurry. (laughs) Because it just cost me a lot of pain to do that. Don't forget that image. Honestly, your one vote 
how much will it tip the scale? I shared with you maybe a couple of months ago that the last, uh, I think, uh, 12 elections have only been won by 5% of the population. Do you know that if 5% of the church got down a serious prayer, we would have serious revival. I've seen small revivals. I have. I, I, I've been fortunate. Uh, my parents went to Australia as missionaries, and I saw a revival in my dad's church. Wow, how it, how it transformed people. Kids, we were an Italian church. Australian kids speaking English would come into our youth services, and they would fall down. These were unsaved kids, kids that were doing drugs, this is in the 70s, you know, hippie-type kids, wild kids. They were just normal kids doing drugs, doing the streets, and they'd walk into the church, and we were maybe 20 kids. The, the oldest was 17. The youth leader was 17 years old. I was 13. And they would walk into the church, and because we were sincere and we'd be worshiping God, and there was an atmosphere of revival simultaneously here in America, you were having the Jesus movement. I'll talk about that sometime because there was a phenomenal revival that took place here in the United States. But uh, at the same time in Australia, these kids would walk off the street and they'd come down to check out what we're doing and suddenly, with no one touching them, we're out here in the front, uh, one-third of the way down the aisle, they would hit the deck and fall down under the power of God. No one touched them. They had not been exposed to any religious stuff, so that's not stuff they knew. And sometimes they would be manifesting under a demonic influence. And me, at 13, together with the youth leader, he wasn't even a pastor, the youth leader, 17 years old, my brother, who was 16 years old, We'd pick them up, take them into a back room, and these demons would be screaming uh, all sorts of things at us and telling us that they're not going to come out. And here we were with very little understanding, just a heart sincere with a love for Jesus. And we would cast out demons who have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And here we are, simple baby Christians, just kids. And demons, rulers of darkness, had to obey us because we used the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And this stuff is real. And America needs a mighty baptism from the Holy Spirit of God. Can I get a yes? Come on, stand with me as you give the Lord a big clap. Come on, give the Lord a clap. I hate that at the moment, a little 1,200 square foot home that I've lived in for all these years that I've been here in Florida, somehow termites got a hold of one third of the house and just messed it up. Ryan has seen it. 
And it's taking my time away from the morning prayer meetings. I break away on Saturdays. I make Saturdays an absolute must, and we start later on Saturdays. And this man was kind enough uh, last night. You know, I get so focused, sometimes too focused, and I said, you want to, we'll keep working, are you okay with that? And at first he said, yeah, and then he came back and said, you know what, you need to go home and prepare. I was up to 1.30, got up at 6, and continued preparing. And I resent, in a sense, that the enemy has caused a situation that pulls me away. I thank God for Pastor Jan. She's here every day praying. And others who come, but as a pastor in the church, at least she fills in for my lack of being here. I keep incredible hours, not because I'm a hero. It's just a season of my life, and I look forward to that season being over. I'm being very honest with you and very transparent. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your life is phenomenal. America isn't. Maybe your life, you haven't been touched by what's going on. The world is going to hell. I need for the Holy Spirit to weigh heavily on every person's heart so that it becomes more than just Pastor Rob's words. It becomes the moving and the stirring of the Holy Spirit of God that pulls on you and brings you to a place you've never been to before, like praying. I know every word that is written in the Bible is absolute truth. I've heard demons scream at me from Australia to Italy to Uruguay uh, to Malawi and say things to me like they've said to Jesus in the Gospels. I've heard them scream at the top of their lungs and call on other demons and glare at me and say, we're not coming out. And yet, in Jesus' name, they have to obey. I know the Word of God is true. And demons hate it. And they will fill philosophies and sciences with knowledge to try to take you away from the credibility of God's Word. The church, I'm not even asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust the nature and the character of God by believing his word. And if we humble ourselves and pray, what God has done in the past for this nation, God will do again. And if you think this has always been a Christian nation, read your history. We have reached some very dark points, and I believe we're at a dark point right now. No one in the White House has got the answer. Remember, you promised not to take offense. No one from either party. But we have the answer. But we want to be like the uh, armchair quarterback. The president should be doing this and that. Sh 
they should be doing that and why didn't they this why isn't the church praying why aren't we on our knees crying out to God you understand we're raising a generation that doesn't know whether they're male or female I mean I think there's something like 27 variations now Even cows and bulls know what they are. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Uh, it's the reality of how confused our world is. And if we have the answer, are we honestly happy to just go to church? God forbid. God forbid. We've all grown up with posters of Uncle Sam pointing, Uncle Sam needs you. The kingdom of God needs you. The kingdom of God needs you. When Uncle Sam needs you, there's going to be human bloodshed. But when the kingdom of God needs you, the king has already shed his blood. I invite you, I hope to get back here every morning from Tuesdays to Sunday we run prayer meetings, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday before church. How many of you, why don't you go to the prayer meeting Sunday morning? Pastor Jam, what time do you start? 9.30, can they come at 10? Can they come at quarter to 10? right next door why don't you come before church and start praying oh God Pastor Rob wasn't too hot last week help him be really better this week you know hey I don't care if you pray like that about me I want God to shine more and more through me I haven't reached anything but I'm going there but why don't you come out Sunday mornings and pray pray Father, bring people off the streets. Bring people that nobody else will love and let them feel your love when they come into the church. You know, this church has grown. The majority of the growth is because people drive by and, and the Holy Spirit tells them, go there. Yeah. You know why that happens? We spent years praying that. We spent years praying, Father, as people drive by, Holy Spirit, jump in the car and put it in their heart to come here so that they can find Jesus. And, and, and so now it happens all the time. I asked you last week to stand up if that was you, and I think two-thirds of the congregation, maybe even three-quarters, stood up. But why not go next Sunday morning and join Pastor Jan? And pray for half an hour and say, God, make this a good one. Bring people in off the streets. I know our prayer meeting during the week starts at 9 and many of you are at work. I, I get it. And I'd love to start prayer meeting at 6 o'clock so you could come. But right now we're exhausted. And maybe as this, the ball starts rolling, maybe we'll be able to do that. Maybe there'll be enough of us and we can do that. But if you can't come during the week because you're at work, then commit to come maybe Tuesday night, Pastor Jan runs prayer meeting. Come Sunday morning. Come Saturday morning. At the very least, 
at the end of your life, you can stand up and say, God, I didn't just take from your kingdom. I was there to give in your kingdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. Father, I pray. Not for our name. Not so that I would be known or seen. But I pray that men and women by the thousands upon thousands will see you and know you. Experience your great love and your ability to save them from all types of things. People are broken, God. Our nation is broken. And I cry out to you. We cry out to you. We need you, God. Come, Holy Spirit, and move on our hearts and move on this congregation and move in this city and move on the other pastors in this area. Holy Spirit, let there be a great outpouring. Send the reviving presence of God into the churches so that men and women will be filled with you and you will be able to flow through them even in the workplace. We look to you. We commit to not just be spectators, but to be participators. How many of you are willing to be a participator? I want you to commit to a prayer meeting. Come Sunday morning. Come on. You're going to come to church anyway. Come to prayer meeting. Come Saturday morning. Come Tuesday night. Come the only day we don't pray is Monday. <laughs> we actually get tired. <laughs> but if enough of you start coming out to pray, we'll have someone to run Monday too. I'm not looking to the next election. I'm looking to the next move of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, listen best thing you could ever do this isn't about religion it's about letting Jesus in your life I have screwed up so many times and maybe I just screwed up by using the phrase screwed up but anyway I've made so many mistakes in life and God is always there to love me pick me up he sees that as much as I make mistakes I'm sincere honest genuine don't try to be something I'm not. But if he can love me, he can love you. Just for one moment. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart and you're ready to do that now, quickly raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to accept Christ as my Lord, my Savior right now. If you're ready to commit yourself to start praying for a move of God's Spirit, raise your hand. Come on. Father, we close with this. See the testimony of their hearts. Now, Holy Spirit, move in their lives. Holy Spirit, bring them to prayer. Stir us and then stir the world around us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,
Amen. Amen. We got hot dogs outside. We got bouncies. We got water slides. If you can stay and have fellowship, that'd be great. But hug at least five.